0: welcome to scars to stars where conversations and personal stories let us know we are not alone in this show you will meet authors and speakers from our books and events as they share vulnerable personal stories to spread hope and inspire you through adversities in your own life the world is a difficult place you will find like-minded people here with kind hearts and supportive souls I am your host, Dina Brown Mitchell. I am a suicide survivor and the founder of the Realize Foundation. I am so glad you are here. Let's dig into this meaningful conversation. Hi everyone, it's Dina at the Realize Foundation and I'm here today with Donnie Crowder who is the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, which you're gonna hear more about. It's a fabulous organization and a great tool for mental health and, um, you know, for all of us who struggle daily. (laughs) In fact, I just got my cope note for today about 30 minutes ago. So awesome. Um, Thanks so much. So we're going to talk today. um, Well, I guess I should tell you guys, if you need to find us, we're at realizefoundation.org or you can just Google hashtag save a life challenge. And we can, You can find us there and we have all kinds of videos um, that are cataloged on our youtube channel and we're hopefully going to have them on a website page soon but um, you can find any of them there and hear all these conversations that may help you have conversation with someone in your life so i want to get started today we're talking about lived experience so people who have experienced suicidal ideation and kind of understand um, what that looks like for people who have never experienced it and how you can reach out to somebody or support somebody in your life that's going through that. So, Johnny, I want you to tell everyone a little bit more about yourself. That would be awesome.
1: Yeah, the well, people listening are probably like, oh, I'm assuming he's a lived experience person, if that's what they're <laughs> talking about. Yes, you are correct. That is some Hardy Boys level deduction there. So. My name is Johnny. I grew up with a lot of different mental health diagnoses. I was in treatment for many years. I went to school for psychology and started doing advocacy work. But all of it really, I I think peer support has become such an important component of what I do now. Like I run a company called Cope Notes, which you guys can look up. um, And we provide daily mental health support via text message. But the whole idea came from peer support, and the whole idea that someone with lived experience with mental illness can provide value even if they don't have, you know, a doctorate or something.
0: Yeah, so true. Very true. So I want to ask you a question about your own journey. And that would be like, at what age did you start having suicidal ideation?
1: I can't remember a specific age, but I remember, I mean, it was definitely in elementary school. It was definitely very, very young. By the time I got to middle school, it was really bad. Um, Elementary school, probably early elementary school is probably when it started.
0: And how how did that show up for you?
1: It was in a lot of my, I would write a lot and draw a lot and it would manifest a lot in my creative endeavors but also just in my general thoughts it was um it always felt like a viable option or in some ways a solution to what i was feeling which is very misguided in retrospect but at the time it was almost always top of mind like i could be watching airbud and thinking in the back of my mind like well you know
0: so did that did it change as you got older and how that showed up?
1: It got a lot more severe and it kept me from being as social as I would have liked to be. I started becoming a lot more reclusive and unfortunately becoming more plan oriented um, rather than having it be this like vacuous, vague idea. It started actually taking shape, which is very unsettling to think about. Like now, so I'm 29, to think about someone in middle school having active plans. I'm like, oh no, that's heartbreaking. But for me, it was like a Tuesday.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I feel like teen suicide has been a huge topic lately. And that's why I wanted you to kind of touch on that because the town I live in now, I just moved back here. Um, We had a a junior in high school who just died recently. And so we had a gathering at the library um, to talk to parents about how do you, how do you talk to your parents about, or your children about this, and how much do you say, and depending on what age they are, and all, we had all these conversations. So I'm wondering, like, at what point did your mom understand what was going on? And did you tell her, or did she see signs? How
1: did that show? I definitely didn't like sit down with my mom one morning and be like, Hey mom, I'd like to talk to you about what I'm feeling. Um, that didn't happen. I wasn't that kind of kid, but probably I think around when I was 14. So probably high, uh, first year of high school, like freshman, sophomore in high school was when it got so bad that I was voluntold to attend treatment to avoid a Baker act. So, um, it was, I would say it was probably noticeable when I was in middle school, but I think freshman year of high school was when it was so bad that I, I was losing my ability to function and treatment became like mandatory.
0: Mm-hmm. And did you, how did you feel about treatment at first? Was it something you wanted to do because you thought it would help or was it something you wanted to run away from?
1: No, I had the worst attitude ever. It's so funny to work in mental health now because I, back then you couldn't pay me to talk about it. It it was, you know, I was convinced that I was such a special case that no one could help me, that nothing that anybody could do could ever make a difference. I, I felt so dismal about my circumstances. So I felt like um, treatment was a waste of time, a waste of money. And I was like, oh, all these people are deluded into thinking that they can help me. So I was a, I use the term in quotes, I was a problem client for Many years it was it was challenging for me to get my myself stigma low enough to actually become an active participant in my treatment,
0: yeah, I can relate to that <laughs> so what what changed um I know that you are a musician, and you can talk about that if you want, but was that something that helped you in your high school years, or did that come later? <sighs>
1: music was like one of the only things that helped me during that period of my life. So I would write a lot. I played guitar a lot. Um, and then I actually started playing concerts when I was, I think I had just turned 16. So that became like a huge source of relief, but even just attending concerts, like going to concerts in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, and just being around art, it there was something very healing about it. And I think, Part of me wanted that to be it. I was like, oh, I'll just, do, I'll just have music and then I won't have to go to treatment or I won't have to take medication. Or Like I wanted that to be the answer to everything. But it's kind of like saying, you know, ice cream has calories and I need calories to live. So why don't I just eat ice cream all the time? It's like, no, you need to have some other stuff too.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Music is something that helps me immensely as well and I know that I read an article recently about you and your music and I was super excited to see that and also how it kind of plugs into a ministry for you and how I would love to hear more about that and how that came about and if that was something that was always part of your life or something that came later and how you incorporate it to reach other people through your music.
1: Are you asking like from a faith standpoint?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So definitely not in my life for forever when I was, so I am like a lot of people where I grew up in an abusive household that claimed to be Christian so i like learned all the wrong things about christianity it was like we went to my family went to a catholic church and i was just like oh if this is what christianity is i don't want any part of it it was it it just felt dangerous and fake and i misunderstood a lot of it and then i realized as i got older like keep in mind i went way to the other side of the spectrum so i was in a, a death metal band and we had you know pentagrams and animal bones and candles. And, you know, it was like I just went to the other end of the spectrum. And then I realized after years of really, really thinking about it and trying to, you know, read about Eastern philosophy and ethics and other religions and stuff, I was like trying to figure out the whole God thing. And I realized through literally years of reading and introspection that um, I was just angry at Christians and the church. I wasn't actually angry at God. I just was like misinformed. So I came, I basically met God like seven years ago, six years ago. And that was pretty life-changing. So now it's cool because no one thinks I'm a Christian because of like the type of music that we make or because I work in tech or because of how I look. Like you can name any reason that people think that i'm just atheist or agnostic and then when people find i'm a christian they're like huh really and i'm like i know i'm just as surprised as you are i did everything i could to not become a christian
0: yeah i just asked that because it's a big part of my life and when i saw the the interview with you um recently and there were some some fans that were talking about this and how how much it meant to them so i thought it was important so what would you what would you say to you know younger kids adult people or parents that are dealing with suicide ideation and what what would you what advice would you give i guess first parents if it's someone that was in your shoes you know in middle school or high school that are that are dealing with this and they don't know how to talk to their parents about it the parents don't know how to approach them like what would you say to that situation
1: to wait, who am I speaking to, the parent yeah. or the child?
0: I think we should talk to both. So whichever you would like to talk to first.
1: <laughs> well, on the kid side, I think it's really important to help the child understand that they're not the first child in the universe to experience this. And they while they are unique, they are not so unique that they're the first person in the history of humanity, like billions and billions of people to ever face what they're facing. I think relieving that sense of isolation can be pretty important, especially from the parent side. Like you want to, you don't want to pester them, right? You don't want to hit them up like, good morning. Have you thought about suicide today? Which is literally something my mom had done for me before because she just wanted to like stay on top of everything. But I would say for the child, just know that this is something that people experience. You have friends that have sprained their ankles. You have friends that have had chicken pox. This is one of those things that is unfortunate. You know, no one is excited when they get chicken pox, but it's something that happens. And it's something that you need to deal with. And just reminding them that this is something that other people have experienced. And then reminding them that there, there's a lot of life ahead of them. And things can get better. Like when I was in sixth grade, you could tell me, oh, you know, next year you're going to be so much happier. And I go, screw you. There's no way. It's impossible. We're so breaking that preconceived notion that things will only get worse. I think just painting a picture of like, what would next year look like if it was better? Just imagine. Well, I'm not saying it's going to be better. I don't know. I can't read the future. But Imagine it, like, what does that look like? And as it, from a parent side of things, I would want to, first of all, encourage parents to like entertain the idea that it's not entirely their fault. Because if you feel guilty when you're communicating with your child about suicidal ideation, it's going to come off. It's going to affect the, it's going to pollute the conversation. So you need as best you can to not go into it thinking like, I'm such a bad parent, I screwed up. Don't come in with that baggage, because it will damage your communication with that child. And also, if you can, as a parent, keep bringing up positive things about the future, because I've literally postponed my own death by my own hands, because I wanted to hear an album that was going to come out in a few months. I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to die before that record comes out. It's gonna be such a good record. So everybody has stuff to look forward to. And if they don't, if they have nothing to look forward to, help your child find something. Oh, won't it be great when you're when you're able to drive? Won't it be great for you just to be able to go to the beach with your friends and think go, oh man, I'm gonna get my permit pretty soon. I don't wanna shoot, that's gonna be a lot of freedom. Like help them picture future things that will be better than what they're experiencing right now because it's an excuse to stick around
0: that's a really good point thank you for sharing that it's sometimes like you said it's hard to get out of your own way you know especially as a parent who has a child who's going through something that you can't control and you can't Mm -hmm. fix you know it's hard to it's hard to go into that without without some kind of baggage (laughs) like you said
1: (laughs) I'll say this. The reason I can say this so clearly is because I don't have any kids. So I'm making it sound super easy because I've never done it. Uh, I understand that it's more challenging than what I'm saying, but also give yourself some credit because sometimes people will hear me give a keynote or something like, oh, why didn't I do that? Or I feel so stupid. It's like, well, I'm not in your position. I'm on the outside. It's like when you watch a football game and you're like, how come you didn't throw it over there? Yeah, it's wide open. These guys are blind. It's because you're not in that person's position. So the only reason I can speak into that type of situation is because I've been the child. Mm -hmm. I've never been the parent. I don't know exactly what you guys are facing firsthand. I just know it because I saw my mom go through it. That's it.
0: Right. Right. And I I don't have children either. I have have stepchildren that I met when they were seven and 10 and now they're 26 and 29. How did that happen? Um, But. You know, it it has been a challenge because one, they're they're younger and I'm older, and I'm trying to figure out how to help them. But number two, I'm not their real mom, so like I haven't been there since day one, and so that makes it harder too. And so for all those step parents out there, that was for you. <laughs> I think that, you know, part of part of relating is is just. And I I say this all the time up to everybody, but it's like people when they're in in this stage of ideation, it's like, depending on what level it is, sometimes they don't see anything else around them. They don't see anything but that. And it's just pain. And that's all they know. And they don't know that anyone cares. And I know that, you know, like in my own situation, I knew my family loved me. But in that moment, I didn't feel like I, I mattered. I didn't feel like anybody would miss me. And I think that's the, uh, the biggest point that people can understand is like, people can't see through this pain they're in to reality sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so if you, if if a parent a friend of spouse whoever it is if you can just make them feel like you're there for support even if it's silence even if you just watch a movie or listen to music you don't have to say anything because sometimes people don't know what to say and that's what that's what keeps the conversation from happening i feel like
1: yeah i am a big proponent of because a lot of parents contact me and they're like what do i do about my son and I am a big proponent of like trying to spend time together where you're not talking about mental health at all. Where I remember I, I was speaking with this one mother who had a kid and she's like, he just won't talk to me about what's going on. I I try to get information out of him. He just won't spit it out. And I asked like, what's, when's the last time that you guys hung out without you asking about this? Were you just like, spend time together. Like you went out to dinner and you didn't bring up anything mm-hmm. about what was going on. She's like, I don't know. And I was like, taking, what does he like? And she's like, well, she likes basketball or he likes basketball. And I'm like, have you ever taken into a basketball game? And she said, no. And I'm like, boom, right there. <laughs> Give it a shot. And don't bring up like bite your tongue the whole time. You don't even have to talk all that much. You, in fact, if you can get him talking about something he cares about, like if my mom would have said, oh, your shirt, Despised Icon, is that a band? Okay, what kind of music are they? And I'd be like, well, they're kind of like technical death core. They're, they're pretty cool. Where are they from? Oh, Montreal. Oh, that's very cool. Montreal, have they come here? Yeah, I saw them in in April. And all of a sudden, I'm talking about something that I like with my mom and it feels like a normal conversation. So if you are a parent and you can't help but pry, maybe pry about something that they enjoy sharing about because over time, if they're like, I can talk to mom about music and basketball and maybe I can Mm -hmm. bring up what I'm going through now. You need to take those baby steps and start with like hobbies and interests and maybe work your way up to those more serious conversations once the trust is reestablished.
0: Sure, yeah. That's very valuable information for parents, I think. What would you say about a friend? Like if you had a friend that you saw was struggling in some way, how would you approach that?
1: Inclusion. Almost <laughs> always. It is like, do you want to hang out on Thursday? Or I'm, I'm going to order pizza on Wednesday and we're going to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway or something. You got to come over. Or... I'm going on a bike ride or I'm going on a swim or, you know, like choosing to include somebody because it's very easy when you're alone to think that people don't care about you. It's, it's almost like a default if you're really struggling with depression and suicidal ideation, but it's hard to prop that argument up logically. If you keep getting invited to stuff, if you're like, Oh, nobody cares about me. And then your friend texts me, you Your friend texts you and they're like, hey, you know, 7 p.m. We're going to watch the game if you want to come over. And you're like, son of a gun. I was just convincing myself that nobody cared about me. And here you are showing me that you care. And over time, it really does wear down that false narrative that you don't matter. Invitations, including people. it's Even if they say no every time, even if they never respond.
0: When you're talking about it's kind of a perfect segue to talk about Cope Notes when you said, you know, text your friends. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about Cope Notes and I'll I'll put your website up so they can find you.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. So Cope Notes, I'll try to keep it short and sweet and you guys can go to the website if you want to learn more. But Mm -hmm. Cope Notes provides daily mental health support via text message. So you can think about it kind of like this. We're interrupting negative thought patterns with text messages that are written by peers with lived experience. So you have your peer support component, you have your positive psychology component, and maybe the best part of this is that it trains your brain to think in healthier patterns over time. So you never have to like consciously make a decision to log into an app or to download anything or for up to you at random times to train your brain to think in healthier patterns. And then you can text back anytime any day whatever you want whenever you want and use that thread as a digital journal and it is it's like a brain training tool with a laser focus on mental and emotional health and it is impossibly easy to use so we do one thing i wanted to mention is we have personal subscriptions like if i wanted to sign up we have gift subscriptions so if dina wanted to sign up her kids Um, and then we have group and enterprise subscriptions. So that's for like universities and school districts and businesses, governments, agencies, places like that.
0: It, it, Coke notes is really amazing. I think it's, um, it's not only something that interrupts your day, but it's always a very valuable message and it's always something that's thought provoking. And I read them every day at at different times, obviously. And, um, they're they're amazing so thank you for all of your work and and making that available to people and i do also give um three month subscriptions to my clients
1: cool
0: and so i've done that a few times and you know whether they keep it going or not i don't always know but they Mm -hmm. usually do comment about how much they like it and how much it helps
1: that's That's so wholesome because it's one thing I didn't mention is it's anonymous. So I didn't know that you were a subscriber. Okay. I, don't, I never know when people are subscribed or not. So it's so cool when people say, oh, I just got my Cope Nuts text. I'm like, I met a real Coconut subscriber in the wild. You know, it's awesome.
0: I've been a subscriber for like a year.
1: That's so cool. Thank you so much for, for the support and for using yeah. it. I'm really happy to hear that it's helping. and And more than that that clients are actually seeing the benefit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've given it to at least six or eight people.
1: That is too cool.
0: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an amazing tool and resource. And it was funny because this morning I was reading something from Sally Spencer Thomas about how, you know, it's, it's suicide awareness month. And she was saying, you know, we're done with the awareness. It's time to take action. And I was like, that is that is such a good point, which is what we've been preaching for a year is have the conversation, because if we don't have the conversation, we're never going to get to the help part. Yeah. And, and it also kind of ties into Cope Notes because that's action every day that's helping people. So, um, yeah, I mean, we 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 do. We have to take action. And I think there's more and more people um, reaching out to me saying, you know, how can we have the conversation? Because I've been preaching that for so long. And it's like, mm. you know, finding out who they are, what they are, like, is it is it a work environment? Is it a family environment? Is it friends? And how can we help them have that conversation or start it? And, you know, I think for, I don't know if you remember this, but I, after my suicide attempt, I didn't talk about it for 23 years mm. and I was 27. So I'm 51 now. And, you know, all of those years in between, I just threw myself into work and work was my coping mechanism. And so when COVID happened, I didn't have any work and I didn't really know what to do with myself. (laughs) So I started the foundation and I started having these conversations because I'm like, I really went inward to figure out why didn't I get help or talk about it for so many years. And it's because... Nobody made it nobody made me feel like it was okay to talk about it. So especially in a business world where you are a leader and then when I own my own business, it's like it's not something that, you know, is okay for your boss to tell you, hey, I'm struggling with depression, <laughs> you know? So it it COVID forced me, it was a blessing in disguise. It forced me off the hamster wheel and to deal with my own health, and also to try to help others do the same. So,
1: yeah, I think about like authenticity and transparency and leadership as maybe a perk of working in the mental health field. Like, for example, if I, you know, was a district manager at Chick Fil A, my perk would be getting lunch every day, and I would freaking love it. That'd be awesome. Working in mental health, your perk is being able to be open about your diagnoses without having to worry about people going, oh, the CEO has schizophrenia. Yeah, that's like something that I can say because of the field that I work in. And hopefully by the time, you know, I can't retire until the level of mental health awareness and cultural acceptance of diagnoses is such that it doesn't matter if you're a manager at Chick-fil-A or if you're the Fortune CEO or whatever, you should be able to say that you're living with a diagnosis and have everybody else go, oh, word up. Yeah, my, my aunt has that. Or like, oh, I read about something like that. That, that sounds like it might complicate some things. You know, I can't imagine. I mean, it looks like you're coping really well because you're able to be in a leadership position. But right now, it sometimes has the opposite effect where people go, oh, no, if he has schizophrenia, what if he what if he has a psychotic break during a meeting? And it's like, I've been a CEO for 25 years and I've never had that. Like, what makes you think we just need to kind of disarm those diagnoses? And I do think that it is a perk to work in mental health and be able to say, Here's what I live with, and here's what I'm working on. And you have your staff and clients go. Oh, I feel that. Me too. You uh, know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's true, and it, it's such a it's such a one eighty for me because, you know, I was in the hospitality world for thirty years, and you know, the hospitality world everyone is overworked and underpaid. It's mm-hmm. just it's just a fact. And so it's normal to skip lunch because your client needs something. It's normal to work 18-hour days when you're at an event. And, and so I'm really trying to get a self-care message to my former yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not something that they talk about, which hence why I didn't talk about it. And so I feel like that's kind of my mission is to help the people that I've worked with for so many years and the people in that industry that work themselves to the bone and don't ever take care of themselves. And so, yeah, it's, and, and you know that there are people that are struggling and like me just hit it. You know, nobody knew that about me. Oh yeah. My husband didn't even know because I traveled so much and I was like, well, you know, he's like, I've never seen you be depressed. And I was like, well, that's because I am on stage all the time. Like, I don't know. And, yeah. and like, if I was traveling and I was in a hotel room in another city, I could not get out of bed and nobody would know, Yeah, you know, but when I was at home, I didn't, you know, he just thought I was tired or whatever. So I think there's, there's a lot of signs. Another thing that came up recently in a conversation was that, you know, if somebody comes home from work and normally takes out the trash, just for example. And they co- start coming home from work, and they're not taking out the trash. Like, what's going on? Something's something's not right. Like, mm-hmm. not that you should hound them about taking out the trash, but yeah. to find out what's going on, because when people's routines change or their their habits change, there's there's something behind that, and a lot of times it is depression or anxiety or PTSD or schizophrenia or whatever or whatever mm-hmm. um, whatever the diagnosis is. So yeah, I think that's important. Do you have any last thoughts you want to share with everyone about Suicide Prevention Month?
1: I think there's probably people watching this that have thought, well, I've struggled with suicidal ideation, and I was going to talk about it publicly in the past, but I'll just keep waiting. And you put it off year after year. At least if you talk about it this month, you can do it under the guise of like, well, it's suicide prevention month and I did it to support whatever excuse you have to tell yourself to like actually break down that wall and start talking about it publicly. I'm a fan of, I just think if you do it in September, if you stop putting it off, now is a great time to do it because I mean, if you look at stigma as like a a graph, like a line graph there's kind of dips in stigma during like Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's easier for me even to justify doing public advocacy during Mental Health Awareness Month or during Suicide Prevention Month because it's part of the cultural conversation. So my message to you is stop putting it off. Use September as the excuse to justify however you need to justify it in your brain to share. And I always say this. Come on in. The water's fine because we get nervous about what's my life going to be like after I share this. Probably a lot like it is now. You just won't feel the burden of having to look perfect to other people all the time. It, It really does get easier over time. And I can't imagine the life I would be forced to live if I never shared. So please open your mouth and talk about it this month. Stop putting it off.
0: So that's a, that's a good point. And while actually right when you started talking about that, I was thinking that how much easier it is for me to talk about now than it was a year ago, mm-hmm. because that first step is so hard. It's oh, really yeah. hard. And, right. yeah. and I think, you know, once you have that first even sentence out of your mouth, it gets easier. It doesn't mean the emotions go away immediately and all of that, but it does get easier, like Donnie said. So please open up to someone. You can always reach out to me. Um, you can always just, you know, sign up for a Cope Note subscription and somebody will be talking in your ear every day. Um, so, you know, whatever it is you need, um, feel free to reach out to us. I'll put our website down there again. And again, you know, it's all about having the conversation. And whether it's you struggling or someone around you that you're close to struggling, you know, reach out and ask questions or watch more of our videos of people and different experiences and what they've been through and how they overcame it. And we hope that the education and awareness this month will spike lots of new conversations. Thank you. Thanks so much, Johnny, for being here. I really appreciate your time and all your wisdom.
1: Thank you a ton for having me. Keep up the good work.
0: I'm so happy you joined us for this conversation. My wish is that you found comfort and hope in your own unique situation. If you resonated with our message, please head over to therealizedfoundation.org where you can apply to write your own story in one of our books. You can also download our 60 Ideas for Self-Care on the resources page. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, you are not alone. You are worthy and you are enough.